Welcome to another edition of Reshaping America. This is your host, Kurt Flewelling. Well, uh, about 60 days, we will know if Donald Trump will prevail and be uh, reelected or Joe Biden will be our next president. To that point, many times on this show, we have um, expressed the import of faith-based voters, evangelicals, um, and both parties obviously know how important that um, voting block is. Uh, but it hasn't only, uh, only recently have Democrats tried to even make a run at that uh, voting block. Um, I, I think the statistic I read this morning was eight out of 10 evangelicals voted for Donald Trump. Um, but as we have said many times before, uh, in an election that could very well be close in many swing states, um, a few votes one way or the other in one constituency group or the other could certainly spell um, disaster for Donald Trump. And uh, as uh, and, and we we have an article here that talks about Franklin Graham and some people a little exercise with him. Um, as the evangelical base, if you will, starts to get uh, ramped up and excited, perhaps to vote for Donald Trump or probably more importantly, vote against um, Joe Biden in many instances, um, as as would be predictable, um, there are articles and news reports coming out and videos of uh, uh how evangelicals are narrow-minded, racist, et cetera, et cetera. And this is all an attempt to um, discredit you if you are a faith-based voter. Um, it's uh, an attempt to ignite the ever-growing um, Christian left, which I have uh, been discussing for years. Not a lot of people have, but I have. Um, first article that kind of uh, steers one's uh, views one way or another, uh, American Christianity's white supremacy problem. And this is out of the New Yorker, no bastion of conservatism or Christianity there. But um, I'm, I'm not going to, you know, probably the best thing to do before I even uh, start with going into some of these articles is, is to quote um, Elliot Bennett. Uh, I quote him in my book, Reshaping America. And he puts out a thought-provoking um, statement. The God we serve is not the people who serve him. Now, at first blush, um, you might look at that and say, no, duh. Um, God is God, and we're but mere fleas down here. And um, of course, we're not the God that we serve. But if you peel the onion a little bit, and and uh, I think it's a very thought-provoking quote on Mr. Bennett's part, um, what he means by this is Christianity throughout the years has been defined by its followers or um, ambassadors, if you will, people that purport to be Christian and oftentimes act in a very non-Christ-like way. And then uh, people who hate God, hate Christianity, want to... Um, gin up the hypocrisy argument and say, you guys are all a bunch of hypocrites. And in a lot of respects, they're correct. But in an attempt to discredit 
God and Christianity, oftentimes what happens is followers of Christ who are in many instances very much out of the word uh, uh, will of God and have a very perverse view of what the scriptures are and who Jesus Christ is, act in a certain way. And then it's oh too convenient for detractors of Christianity to just tar and feather Jesus with this um, behavior. It's a, a very, very effective thing that's been done for, throughout centuries. And as I have said oftentimes on the public airwaves, I believe a lot of times Jesus is just up in heaven with his arms folded, looking at both us individuals on the right and the left, just shaking his head, watching this dysfunctional ping pong match and just asking the rhetorical question. All questions are obviously rhetorical when God asks them, um, where is Jesus in all this? And so I, I will, with Mr. Bennett's comments as, as a backdrop here, I will kind of go into some of the things that this article tries to do. And, and just to caution you, if you are someone that um, one of your missions uh, two months out of election is to try to get uh, to the uh, truth and you're availing yourself uh, to... Uh, try to understand the issues of the day from one source or another, I think it's it's incumbent upon you to identify the source and what their objectives may be before you swallow hook, line, and sinker what they have to say. So again, the New Yorker, no um, friend of God, I would say, um, starts by uh, referring to uh, Frederick Douglass and um, his early narrative of the life of Frederick Douglass. Um, Douglass writes, if it had any effect, he is he's referring to his master at the time, Thomas Old, who had, uh, became a Christian believer at a Methodist camp meeting. And he refers to his master and says, if it had any effect on his character, alluding to his born-again experience, it made him more cruel and hateful in his ways. Um, so they're setting the table to say that Christians, and particularly this brand of white Christianity, is inherently cruel just because this um, slave owner at the time became a Christian and didn't act very Christ-like. Now, you and I know that that's insane. Um, if you want to know where I stand on that, uh, in my book, Reshaping America, where, where at the same time extolling the virtues of our founding fathers, I certainly do not, no pun intended, whitewash who many of them are who um, claim to be Christians and then um, exploited uh, African-American individuals uh, in, in the form of slavery. I think that's thoroughly inconsistent. Um, I don't think those individuals should be termed great individuals. Um, and I, I think we, we have to make that distinction if we're honest, either on the right or the left. But um, the article goes on to try as hard as they can to, and they do make some valid points, 
to discredit this white Christianity. Um, and they go as far as saying white supremacy, Christianity's white supremacy problem. And again, the timing is quite conspicuous with all the chaos and unrest we have in America's streets um, currently. It says, uh, 125 years after Douglas's death, the American church is still struggling to eradicate the legacy of the slave-owning religion it loathed. So we have made a tremendous, in, in the course of a few carefully crafted words in this article, we have made the tremendous leap from a slave owner who has a born-again Christian experience and doesn't change his ways, which is definitely wrong, to a slave-holding religion. Now, this slave owner is now the ambassador for all of Christianity. Do you see how this works, ladies and gentlemen? It's very dangerous, and it is something that we practice day in and day out without even realizing it. Um when we see uh, a Christian, uh, particularly a Christian of, of import, fall, act terribly, and poor Jesus gets tarred and feathered with all of this nonsense. So a tremendous leap on the part of the author here, calling this a slave-holding religion. In 2019, the article goes on to say, nationwide survey, 86% of white evangelical Protestants and 70% of their white mainline Protestants and white Catholics said that the Confederate flag is more of a symbol of Southern pride than of racism. Nearly two-thirds of white, um, nearly two-thirds of white Christians overall said that killings of African-American men by the police are isolated incidents rather than part of a broader pattern of mistreatment. Let's stop and dissect that for a moment. So 66% of white Christians happen to believe that the, um, the killing of African-American men by police um, is isolated rather than a broader pattern of mistreatment. And for some reason, I know what the reason is, the author of the article uses this to buttress his um, his uh, claim that Christianity has a white supremacy problem. Um, as we have chronicled in the show several times, 19 African-American youth or African-American uh, men in general were killed in, um, I think, 2019 at the hands of police. Um, thousands of police forces, uh, thousands of arrests, thousands of encounters with African-American men. And we have that statistic. Um, some of those instances were horribly egregious um, in every way, shape, manner, or form, but hardly a um, systemic pattern of mistreatment by police officers. Um, again, more than six in 10 white Christians, the article goes on to say, disagreed with the statement that generations of slavery and discrimination have created conditions that make it difficult for blacks to work their way out of the lower class. Um, 
I happen to agree with the uh, author of the article here. If, if you are a white Christian or a conservative or anybody on the right side of the aisle, and you don't think that the oppression of um, African Americans and slavery a couple hundred years ago has, has, uh, has had a profound effect on um, making it difficult for black people to find their way out of the lower class, you're crazy. Um, that doesn't mean that there's systemic racism at every single level of society, but to say black people do not have to work harder in, in, a, uh, in a white world for a whole host of reasons, none the least of which is they came over here on boats against their will, is insane. So I would agree with the author of the article that if you subscribe to that, um, that you are incorrect. So um, a couple more things here. If you were recruiting for a white supremacist cause on a Sunday morning, the article says you'd likely have more success hanging out in the parking lot of an average white Christian church, evangelical Protestant, mainline Protestant, or Catholic than approaching whites sitting out services at their local coffee shop, he writes. Again, the premise is if you're finding more white supremacists uh, in the parking lot of the church than you are at the coffee shop, then Christianity uh, is is wrong. It's got a problem. It's inherently racist. Um, and furthermore, I, I would not take as gospel um that people on a Sunday morning not being in church that are in a coffee shop or whatever are paragons of virtue and they love all people. Uh, everybody likes to bloviate and say that they're against this and they're against that. And behind closed doors and at their fancy cocktail parties, many liberals are far more racist than any conservatives could even think of being. So this notion that um, if we were to recruit for uh, a white supremacy movement, we'd have a better shot at doing it in a church parking lot than a coffee shop. I, I don't buy that. Um, one of the last things I'll read from the article, um, it says, uh, Trump's racism has defined his presidency. And, you know, we don't have enough time to go on and on and on and on. Um, maybe we'll touch on it a little bit later about um, the, the, the argument that Trump's a racist, Trump's an anti-Semite, Trump is a fascist. You know, Donald Trump is a lot of things, and I don't agree with Donald Trump um, on a whole host of things. But um, the racism thing, the uh, fascist thing, and particularly the anti-Semitic thing with all the Jews in his family and the promise he has kept to the state of Israel to make Jerusalem, to acknowledge and recognize Jerusalem as their capital. Um, these are just, these are just nonsensical things, um, put out there to foment anger and fear and hatred for Donald Trump. So, um, the next article I, I find to be very interesting, it's kind of more the same, But it's a little different in the respect that these um, this group that I'm referring to here in the second article is uh, they're not necessarily bashing Christians. 
they're just rebranding Christianity as uh, something new and improved these days, and they are called the Christian left. And this article says more than 10,000 Christians call for the removal of Franklin Graham. More than 10,000 Christians had signed an online petition calling on evangelical leader, Pastor Franklin Graham, to be removed as the head of humanitarian aid organization Samaritan's Purse following his prayer in support of President Donald Trump on Wednesday. Now, many of you who have uh, listened to my show for any degree of time, um, I have been on TV debating people um, as, as far as pulpit freedom Sunday is concerned. And I think my position is very clear, uh, although I think issues of the day can and should be uh, discussed from behind the pulpit. I think it's your pastor's um, duty to do that. Um, I very much disagree with pastors endorsing people from behind the sacred pulpit. They enjoy uh, tax-exempt status. And if they want that tax-exempt status, like it or not, they have to play by the rules of the IRS. Um, this is not one of those cases. Um, Mr. Graham was invited to the RNC, and he uh, I, I did not see it, so I can't speak um, thoroughly about it. But I know that um, if he did indeed endorse uh, President Trump at that um, meeting, that's certainly nothing that disturbs me or, or I don't think is uh, inconsistent with his um, with his standing as the chair of uh, Samaritan's Purse. Now, when we read the next uh, paragraph, we, we start to get to the reason that um, this uh, social left group, uh, I'll get to them in a moment here, um, generated this online petition um, that was signed by 10,000 people. We, we will get to, um, it, they are called Faithful America, which describes itself as the largest online community of Christians working for social justice. There's that word again. They launched this uh, petition. So this is who has a problem with Franklin Graham and many others who quote um, uh, parts of the Bible that they do not like. And we'll, we'll get to Warren Wearsby in a moment. Um, might as well get to him now. Uh, Warren Wearsby uh, had a great, great line years ago. And I often quote it when I'm discussing the Christian left. It said, truth without love is brutality, and love without truth is hypocrisy. And I go on in my book to say God's word is incredibly comprehensive. The natural result of picking and choosing the parts you like is a troubling phenomenon called the inclusive church. So when Wearsby says truth without love is brutality, he is um, talking to uh, fundamental Christians out there, some some of which are very pharisaical, and they um, see sin as black and white, and they have uh, far less than any type of a loving concern for the sinner, um, but they very much have a lot of uh, interest in the law or the truth, if you will. Uh, the second part of that statement refers to uh, groups like Faithful America or, or Social Justice Warriors on the left. Um, when it says, uh, love without truth is hypocrisy. So 
what Mr. Wearsby means by that is we can't have an inordinate amount of um, concern with the love of the sinner without an abject total disregard for the sin that they are committing. Uh, the Lord says himself when encountering the woman caught in adultery, um, uh, I, I don't find you to be guilty as, uh, or, you know, the, all the people that drop the rocks are concerned as well. But uh, he does end with go and sin no more. So in, in that exchange, Christ is showing an inordinate amount of love to this person that obviously was engaged in sin. But um, he is also uh, displaying an inordinate amount of love and respect for the law, which um, he proves by saying to this woman, go and sin no more. And I have always contended that um, we can learn a lot from the Christian left as far as their love is concerned. I think a lot of people on the Christian right are anything but loving. Um, and that's a problem. But um, to have just an, an inordinate amount of love and just kind of look the other way when we are making it up as we go along, as far as sin is concerned, um, is very troubling. So, um, the faithful America folks say, unless you, uh, unless and until you cut ties with Franklin Graham, his right wing politics can only damage your credibility. Uh, speaking to, uh, Samaritan's purse here can only damage your credibility as a loving Christian humanitarian organization. So we'll stop right there. Uh, Faithful America, um, Christian left organization, is telling Samaritan's Purse, if you don't cut ties with Franklin Graham and bounce him, your credibility as a loving Christian humanitarian organization is in jeopardy. Now, these are, to me, incredible words from... Um, a social justice movement that um, doesn't care that much about abortion, um, oppressive taxation that's killing the family, uh, elevating the union of um, same-sex couples to that of uh, the union of a man and a woman. Um, They often engage in thought and speech police, destroying religious liberty. So, all of those things are not very loving that I just ticked off and they are very dangerous to the word of God. So these organizations who kind of cloak themselves in love and throw rocks at people like Franklin Graham because he's supporting Donald Trump oftentimes look the other way when um, people that follow them tend to have very, very liberal uh, views on the four or five issues that I just ticked off. Um, Article says, if the full board will not vote to remove Graham as chairman, president, and CEO, then they urge individual board members to take a personal stand for the gospel and offer their own resignations. Um, One more thing about this article here. It says a press release went out Wednesday morning, um, by Faithful America. They noted that 10,876 Christians had already signed it. Um, and this is the this is the thing that really kind of troubled me. It says, Faithful America's grassroots Christian members are sick of seeing 
their faith misrepresented and hijacked. Reverend Nathan M. Saul, the campaign's director for Faithful America, told Newsweek. I highlighted the word in that sentence there. These members are sick of seeing their faith misrepresented. Now, that's very interesting. On the one hand, it's crazy, but on the other hand, it swerves into accuracy. It is indeed their faith. Um, many on the on the social justice left or the Christian left have a very, very strong faith. It is very perverse in the parts of the Bible that it chooses to just kind of look the other way on. Um, so on the one hand, I would agree with Nathan Emsall. It is indeed your faith. It is their faith. Um, but the problem is... Uh, maybe they do not have the final say in what Christianity says. The Word of God does. The Bible does. And um, their interpretation, as warped as it may be, is, yes, their faith. But um, to say that Bible-believing, thoughtful, loving, faith-based voters or evangelicals are, are taking their faith and misrepresenting it, you're misrepresenting it yourself, Reverend M. Saul, when you believe the red portions of the Bible, which we should all believe because those are the words Jesus said, and simply contort or um, dispatch the uh, black letters of the Bible that the Apostle Paul um, said and several others said because they don't fit into your narrative. So on the one hand, yes, this is indeed your faith. But on the other hand, you cannot say that uh, people are misrepresenting and hijacking your faith. When the Word of God says that homosexuality is wrong and your movement says it's okay, nobody's misrepresenting you. Nobody's hijacking anything that you have to say. They're just stating the Word of God. So um, I think... Reverend Nathan M. Saul's uh, uh, viewpoints, his movement is extraordinarily dangerous. Um, when you dig certain parts of the Bible and just absolutely ignore others because it doesn't fit into uh, your movement, your agenda, either on the right or left, that is extraordinarily problematic. The last paragraph in the article says, um, the president has been stepping up his attacks on his Christian critics since last year. Despite claiming to be an ally of Christianity, Reverend M. Saul said his incompetent, deadly response to COVID-19, won't even go there, and its impact on jobs and the poor is something very, um, something every Christian needs to take into account. Um Jobs and the poor. Can you think of a president who has done more to promote jobs and raise the poor from a level of lower income to middle income? And in some instances, probably several instances, more than middle income than Donald Trump. You cannot. But these facts, very similarly um, to the facts that movements like this care to just ignore can't be ignored. 
Donald Trump is a champion for um, promoting jobs in uh, poor communities. He is uh, he has done many, many things, as we've chronicled on this show. And all you got to do is read or watch television for the poor in this country. And, and for these guys to continue to beat that pony, Donald Trump's a racist, doesn't care about jobs, doesn't care about the poor. It, 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 it should not. I almost said it doesn't resonate with the average voter, but it does with some voters, but it should not. Um, and this is where it is incumbent upon you as a faith-based voter or, or an informed voter in general to acquaint yourself with the issues of the day and see what's fact and what's fiction. And many folks in the Christian left movement um, happen to be very emotion-based thinkers, and they put Christians and Republicans and all sorts of people in boxes, and they don't um, care to understand them or their positions or the facts, and that's where we run into a lot of trouble. Um, he says, lastly, um, he has anger toward protesters who simply want racial justice. Um, again, I, I hate to be a defender of Donald Trump because I'm not, as you guys know, a, a, an enormous Trump fan. But um, again, this gentleman says that Donald Trump has anger toward protesters who simply want racial justice. No, he does not. He has anger toward protesters that are injuring people, killing people, destroying property, um, breaking federal law, and basically running amok in the city streets and in the suburban streets for that matter. And um, these people are not individuals who simply want racial justice. And to put Donald Trump in a category where he does not, or he is angry or hostile toward protesters who simply want racial justice is, um, is a lie. And, um, this gentleman, uh, I just, I feel bad, uh, for him. I really do. Um, he says, I thought I was at the end here, but uh, I, I now I, I know I am. This is the last paragraph. M. Saul shared a similar message with Newsweek, and he said, Christians must live out values of love, empathy, and peace in everything we do. Now, we can just take that apart a little bit. I, um, I would agree with Reverend M. Saul that many on the Christian right do not are, are not empathetic, um, and they sometimes don't act all that loving. But uh, I'm telling you, many people that Reverend Emsall is attracting do not have value uh, uh, values of love, particularly the love of African-American babies that have been murdered to the tune of, of several hundreds of thousands in the last few decades. Um, that means working to remove an anti-life president who's separate. <laughs> I, I, I can't even do this. That means working to remove an anti-life president. Um, this is a very pro-life president for obvious reasons. He is pro-life. He is not pro-choice. Um, to term Donald Trump as an anti-life president, and then it goes on, who separates families. There is no greater separation from a family than a baby from her mother and father when she is aborted. So... 
Um, this guy's got a lot of problems with the words he uses. And I don't think, um, I just don't think he thinks before he speaks. Um, and, um, again, uh, time will tell, but I think the average American, um, recognizes, uh, to a degree what groups like these Christian left groups are doing. Um, but I am very troubled because I know that there's a lot of people who either are playing at religion, playing at the church thing, or even scarier are bona fide born again believers that are firmly on the Christian left. And, um, that's a problem. And that, that it's, uh, it's a movement that is growing. And what it does is it just does, it blurs the import, uh, it waters down the import of the tried and true biblical principles that our Lord, um, is all about. And he wants us to be all about and to look the other way on certain issues and then be very strong on other ones. Not what Jesus is about. Um, next thing I would like to talk about is I, um, I received some mail the other day that kind of goes into what, um, what I'm talking about. Um, and when you're furthering agendas such as these, you oftentimes need to court, um, young people. And I'm not saying young people are, um, ignorant or stupid or anything, but they are certainly, um, swayable, uh, and one of the major reasons for that is they simply have not lived that long and they don't understand many of the nuances of life because they have not lived that long. So they are ripe for, um, rhetoric that is full of emotion and, um, problematic. So this is, uh, this is a piece of mail I received the other day. Um, obviously, uh, pro Joe Biden. And it says, this is for, from the Alliance for Youth Action. And it says, learn more about Joe Biden. Joe Biden has committed his life to public service and has evolved on many issue stances during his time in office. Let's stop right there. One of the reasons that statement is in there is because the facts on Joe Biden's record, although he was never a conservative, are certainly at odds. His legislative record is certainly at odds with many of the um, socialist uh, ideologies of today. So that statement, Joe Biden has committed his life to public service and has evolved on many issue stances during his time in office. That's to allay the fears of any thoughtful young person that's going to look at the record or watch a Donald Trump um, uh, campaign uh, advertisement and um, look at Joe Biden and his history is, is very much not like AOC's or Bernie Sanders. So that statement is very well crafted and put out there for a reason. It says, as vice president during the Obama administration, Biden was a champion of the Affordable Care Act. Yes, he was. And he intends to build on it as president 
by providing more health care options to Americans. Um, the Affordable Care Act does not in any way, shape, manner, or form provide more health care options to Americans. And one of the reasons it's been crumbling for a number of years is because of a lack of options. Frustrated um, people that have Obamacare, and it is... Um, it is. It was built on lies. It continues to be built on lies, and people continue to put out statements. <coughs> excuse me, such as this, that are just not factual. So the next part of the campaign um, ad here says, "With COVID nineteen impacting our communities, we need strong leadership on healthcare." Here's where Joe Biden stands. Public health decision, and they they tick off five little boxes here. And it says, public health decisions should be made by public health professionals, not politicians. Now, if that isn't a profound misunderstanding of who we are as a nation, I really don't know what is. We are not a democracy. We um, we don't hold votes um, based on uh, public health uh, professionals or professional basketball players or professional anything. We are a representative republic, okay? Our politicians should certainly avail themselves to the opinions of experts in certain um, areas and uh, get together a team of people to consult and then go forward with whatever legislation they happen to be signing on or off from and um, trying their best to represent us um, back home, okay? That's what our country's all about. When a statement says public health decisions should be made by public health professionals, not politicians, that's not accurate. Um, because if a bunch of public health professionals get together and say one thing that is not in the best interest of many politicians um, as, as they see it, how it would impact their constituents, then the politician has absolutely every right in the world to um, make their decisions based on what they feel is good for their constituents. Now, if they don't avail themselves to all the facts on the table, then it's incumbent upon me and you to vote them out. But we do not make public policy decisions based on um, what LeBron James wants us to do or um, uh, the NBA or, or some other entity that doesn't know what the hell they're talking about. So, the next issue, COVID-19 tests should be available and free for everyone. Well, um, I don't take a large issue with that, although free is the cornerstone of everything that the left um, promotes and um, who can argue with free, right? Uh, the next is build on the Affordable Care Act and defend health care protections for all, regardless of gender identity or sexual orientation. Again, that's thrown in there to um, imply that Republicans are not sensitive to gender identity or sexual orientation, and that um, health care 
in general before the Affordable Care Act ever came into being was inherently um, hostile toward um, people's gender identities or their sexual orientation, which is not true. So that's just kind of thrown in there to um, appease a constituency group. Makes no sense. The next one, reduce the cost of prescription drugs by allowing Medicare to negotiate lower prices with drug corporations. Well, I, I don't think... Um, I don't think Donald Trump would argue too much with that. Many of his detractors are saying that things he is doing to the drug companies now um, is is very much um, of the same mindset as the folks on the left. So um, the last one, and if you are a faith-based voter and you're young and you open your mailbox and you got Alliance for Youth Action, um, you should probably be pretty troubled by this one. Um, they're really not sugarcoating this one at all. It says restore funding for Planned Parenthood and appoint Supreme Court justices who will protect the right to a safe and legal abortion. So they're charging right out there and they're just saying it. Um, in their opinion, abortion's not wrong. It should be uh, safe. It should be legal. And Joe Biden um, is for that, which he is. So, um, you know, again, if you are young and you get this and a few things on there look kind of attractive to you, um, I think um, some of these things in here should be very disturbing to you. So we have an election coming up in 60 days and um, we go over the issues of the day. We get people all riled up. They they, you know, they read one thing and they, it's, it's good to know what's going on. Believe me. And I have this on my list of things that we as Christians could and should be doing, um, down the last two months here. And, and basically every, every minute of every day after the election in November, but, um, there's practical things I'm talking to the born again believer right now that you should be doing, um, on a regular basis in order to change our country, because as, as much as, I mean, I used to be a political junkie and I would live and die with these elections and get into them and get happy when my guy or gal won and get really, really bummed out when my guy or gal lost. And I put a lot of emphasis on how life was going to be if my guy or gal won and conversely, if he or she lost. And over the years I have, um, I think we should care about these things deeply, but over the years I have evolved to the point where our Lord is in control. I have prospered mightily, um, during the Clinton years, which were horrible, the Obama years, which were horrible. And personally, me, my family, my businesses, my friends, many people that um, believe in the Lord Jesus have um, have been blessed mightily during those times. Did did a lot of bad things happen during those times that that um, coarsened our culture, damaged our country, uh, damaged our culture? Yes, they did. But personally, I. Um, I, I don't get as excited as I used to. Like the world is ending if 
this guy gets elected or the world's going to be wonderful if that guy gets elected. God is in control. And um, I think that's the, the mentally healthy way to go about things. But as Christians, what can we do in the next two months and in general, but particularly the next two months? I think the biggest thing we can do is pray, um, particularly for people that you disagree with, because at the end of the day, um, we need Jesus. Everybody needs Jesus Christ for a whole host of reasons. But one big practical reason is when you flip the television on or, or the radio or a podcast and you hear and see what you would consider just wrong, this culture is going um, the wrong way. This country is going off a cliff. What I come up with when I see some guy bashing somebody's head in in front of a, a store that's just trying to protect their stuff or some guy that's ripping down a, a monument and the monument happens to be of someone that is an abolitionist and the person ripping down the monument happens to be vehemently against slavery and the person doesn't even have the good sense to understand what they're doing. I, when I see that and a whole host of other things, I, I just said that person needs Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ needs to be, he is in short order in the streets, in Washington, in the areas that uh, mean anything to any of us. And we just need more Jesus. And in order to get more Jesus, we got to pray as Christians. We got to pray for people's salvations. Um, we have to pray particularly for people that we disagree with. Um, in, instead of hating their policies and their edicts and crossing that line and hating them too for what they're doing to our culture, we have to check ourselves and we have to pray for them. We have to pray that the Lord changes their heart. And some would say that's pretty cynical. Um, you're not going to change the heart of this person or that person, but it happens and it doesn't. And if it doesn't happen, it doesn't mean that we have to stop trying to do that. We have to pray for people that we disagree with. Um, Psalm 34, 17 um, is, is a great verse for times like these as far as prayer is concerned. The righteous cry out and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all of their troubles. We all have a lot of troubles right now. Uh, finances, safety in the streets, um, all sorts of things. And um, we have to be confident that the Lord who hears our prayers is going to deliver us from all of these troubles and, and fix this thing. And uh, so prayer is probably number one on my list or your list as far as something that we should be doing. Um, number two, I have, I just dotted these down, no particular order. Acquaint yourselves with the issues of the day. And anybody that has listened to this show with any degree of regularity knows that uh, I quote James 1.5 quite often. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to him. Um, except for some rare instances where the Lord wants to stretch us for one reason or another, sometimes it's a mystery. In general, 
the Lord doesn't want us groping through life. Um, he wants to give us wisdom as to what we should do. And as you have heard me say several times, I often find it amazing that people um, rely on God very heavily in many areas of their life and just will not let him in other areas of their life. Um, I don't know what version of the sinner's prayer you prayed. Um, it, it certainly isn't in the Bible, but uh, the, the iterations are all quite similar in respect to um, somewhere in there. It says, uh, I would like to make you Lord of my life. Um, Keyword there, life, not part of my life or not most of my life or please give me some of this um, sin over here or just let me handle this over here, God, but you can handle all the rest of it. Now, when we become saved, when we follow Jesus Christ, he is Lord of our whole life, everything. And that includes who we vote for. That includes being aware of the issues of the day. I, I, I firmly believe God does not want us groping around and not understanding what is going on. And uh, James 1.5 gives us wisdom if we ask for it. Um, acquaint yourselves with the issues of the day. And uh, what does that look like? Um, first and foremost, the Bible. You know, a lot of people will, will say it's an antiquated book, but the Bible speaks to just about everything that's going on right now in our culture. And uh, you will find the answers to what's going on in our culture in the Bible. Um, but secondarily, uh, credible websites. Um, go to credible websites. What are they? You know, I'm not going to get up here and tell you what's credible and what isn't. I'm, I'm just not going to do that. I, I There was a point in time where I did do stuff like that. If your head is in the game, if you call yourself a, a faith-based voter, you know what's credible and what is not. Um, but the more time you are steeped in prayer and Bible study, God will certainly reveal to you what websites and what news outlets are um, credible and which are not. Um, how about this one, your pastor? Um, I know in this COVID-19 world we live in, uh, church attendance is down. Um, a lot of times we're watching it on a computer screen or whatever, and um, that's very unfortunate, but... During this election cycle, your pastor should be going over the issues of the day, what's at stake, without um, hyperbole, without naming, hey, I like this guy, hey, I hate that guy. Um, there are thoughtful ways that your pastor can educate his flock on the issues of the day or more appropriately where God stands on those issues of the day. And he can do it in a way that does not jeopardize his uh, tax-exempt status. And he has an obligation, in my belief, to to do that. Um, having a bunch of ignorant uh, constituent, or excuse me, um, congregants is not the will of God. It, it just is not. Um, number three I have here, d discuss the issues of the day with others, uh, iron sharpens iron and, and get out of your comfort zone. You know, I, I think a lot of people like congregating and talking with like-minded people, but I, I find it so much uh, more productive to learn more about what I believe 
and to educate people perhaps on um, things that they may be misinformed about by talking to people of uh, divergent thought or people, uh, let's face it, you know, not it doesn't necessarily have to be a flaming leftist if you're on the right, but there's a lot of people, they're not into the political scene. They're not into politics. They just vote and then they just go about their business at work or play or family and they're not really into it. Um, those are people that you can discuss the issues with in a loving, uh, productive manner and you will find that you'll learn things that you didn't know. You'll learn things about your belief system that you didn't know because you'll be challenged. And if, if we talk instead of hate and throw things at one another and slap one another and malign one another and assail one another, I, I think things will be better. Um, going with that, you should vote. Um, there are instances where, I mean, I have never not gone to the polls, but there certainly are instances where, uh, there were races I did not vote for. I voted for many other things on the ticket, but I just couldn't bring myself to vote for one person or another. That happens. That is certainly seldom for me personally. Um, but, um, if you have prayed, acquainted yourself with the issues of the day, fleshed it out with friends and family members, you're reading the Bible, you're going to credible websites, I think it is your duty to go out and vote um, the way God leads you to vote. So voting is very important, and we chronicled it on the show, um, probably a good way to wrap up the show today, uh, of, of evangelical Christians, when the smoke clears, um, only uh, 50% of uh, evangelical Christians are even registered to vote. And then half of the ones that are registered to vote actually make it to the polls. So when the smoke clears of, of, a, of a constituency group that has declared themselves faith-based voters or evangelicals, if you will, only 25% of them vote. Um, you know, if they turned out at the polls... I think it would be a good thing um, for our culture, but they don't. Um, I mean, it, it seems like they do, but the statistics bear out that they don't. So um, last, certainly not least, um, spread the gospel. That's what you can do uh, during this campaign season and well past November, Mark sixteen fifteen. he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. So if you want to know the primary reason that um, things are burning and things are crazy, um, I, I'm, I'm going to tell you, it's it's not Democrats as much as it is a lack of Christ in everybody's heart, on the right, on the left, in the middle, I don't care where you are. So we could easily not look at this through the eyes of God and say, yeah, that's because of uh, blue state crap, and uh, this is uh, Democrats have controlled these cities for so long, and, and there's truth to that. But that's not the primary reason people are losing their minds out there, ladies and gentlemen. It's because they don't have Jesus Christ in their heart, and that transcends the left and the right. So go spread the gospel. Um, have a great day. This is Kurt Flewelling, Reshaping America. Until next week, um, have a great day.